this is Vinnie Paul from it. Hell yeah! And you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Come on now. Hello, this is Brian Bassett of Fogat, and I, you are listening to Iron City Rocks. What's up, everybody? This is Sully Erna, and you are tuned into Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome once again to Iron City Rocks. I am your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best hard rock, metal, blues, and all-around good music talk. This episode, we have uh, joining us three special guests, um, a name that you probably haven't heard in a little while, the band Brownsville Station, who uh, kind of, in my generation, kind of grew to uh, prominence because of Motley Crue covering Smoking in the Boys' Room from their Theater of Pain album. So joining us, Henry Breck, Michael Lutz of the band, uh, they have a new album out called Still Smoking. So we're going to play a track from that in just a moment and then talk to them. And then Aaron will introduce you to a band uh, that he was turned on to called Carlton Melton. Uh, so we're going to learn a little bit more of them in just a little bit. So without further ado, let's get to Smoking in the Boys' Room from Brownsville Station. Just seem to have one of those days when everybody's getting on your case. Everybody from your teacher right on down to your best girlfriend. I used to have them just about all the time, but I found a way to get out of it. Let me show you about it. Sitting in the classroom thinking it's a drag. Listening to the teacher rap just in my bag. New bells ring, you know that's my cue. I'm gonna meet the boys on floor number two. Smoking in the boys' room. Smoking. Up with your rules, everybody knows. 
City Rocks, we have Henry H. Baumweck and Michael Lutz from Brownsville Station. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic, man. Doing great, man. Beautiful weather. It's a great day. That's good. That's good. Yeah, a lot better than last week, that's for sure. Wouldn't have to reach too far. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a horse of a different color, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I just wanted to, I've been checking out your, your new disc, uh, the uh, Still Smoking CD that you just put out, and I wanted to talk to you about that disc and, and what's been going on in the world of Brownsville Station. I know that, um, you know, I don't think you've really been on the radar a whole lot lately up until, you know, we get all this, so I'd just like to... Uh, catch our listeners up to uh, what's what's been happening with you guys. Well, we haven't. Uh, yeah, it's been 30 years plus since we've uh, been out there. You know, we haven't. Um, we always believed in, in not prostituting the name, and and one of the criterias for putting something back together was that we would have something new to offer in a big way. And um, you know, uh, Henry, you can chime in. Uh, you yeah, know how you know, we started yeah. the whole project with the uh, the archival stuff. You know? Yeah, Eric. You know. You know, we didn't we didn't uh, call one another up and say, "Hey, man, uh, let's just go do a new album and get back out on the road." Uh, what really happened is that we had all these demos, all these tapes that I'd archived for years, mm-hmm. never released. Up, yeah, unreleased, and they're demos and there's uh, whatever live things, things that people never heard. And well, now takes from some of our studio sessions too, you know. And that too. And Michael has a beautiful studio. I called him up and said, "Hey, man, you know, let's say we just have some fun and listen to this stuff." The next thing you know, I'm I'm driving up there and we're transferring tapes to Pro Tools. We ended up with over 500 hours worth of unreleased material. And then one of the trips uh, after we'd worked a usual 10-hour day, we opened a couple beers and. Uh, I said, Michael, you know, I got an idea for this song. I can't get it out of my head. And I sang it to him and told him the hook. He jumped on a guitar and came up with his incredible music, and we wrote our first song. <laughs> which, which, song was, which song was that on the new? Which song was that on the new? The new album. Make a, Make difference. a difference. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah, that was the first one. Yeah. My... And you know what was really cool? I, that the the whole thing of going over all those tapes and everything, we actually, because over the years, you know, like Henry said, I've got my own studio, and and uh, both of us have uh, over the years, you know, done different projects and stuff. But mm-hmm. focusing on this archival stuff and and going through all of it, we actually rebrownsvilleized ourselves. So yeah. by the time we were we were you know done with this and everything, and we had written our first song, uh, man, we put the brakes on. In fact, the archival stuff isn't even anywhere near finished. We we started writing new songs, and it just snowballed from there, man. We were like, so you, so you planned like, on getting the archival stuff out and, uh, and and doing things with it, and then this just took it off in a whole different direction when you began to to put the absolutely. Uh, new stuff together. I mean, yeah, that's really absolutely. awesome. We were like we sixteen-year-old kids with our first band, you know. It's like, man, this is cool. This is, yeah. Let's go get some T-shirts, man. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Yeah, it was. It's, it's been an incredible process, man. And, mm-hmm. and to tell you the truth, too, I mean, this, this is how you know prolific we've been on this. We've almost got. Um, you know, we really sifted through, you know, the final version of um, of Still Smoking. We've almost got another CD's worth of material in the can. Oh my goodness. Are you planning on uh, putting it <laughs> on any yeah, Oh, my goodness, they're going to inflict that on the world. Hello. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> is, is it, um, are you going to be putting that out as well, uh, like as a, as a sequel to this? 
Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with still smoking. I, you know, I have, uh, I have good feelings about it. You know, I mean, and we're still writing. You know, Henry and I've just been talking about, uh, you know, having him come back up here, and uh, we we call it having some fun because we're we're doing a lot of business stuff right now and everything, and uh, you know, every once in a while we'll take a break and have some fun and we'll record a new song. Mm-hmm. Now, who else have you been working with on this on this project? We have um, we've uh, gradually put together, um, you know, a, a brand new Brownsville Station band, and mm-hmm. uh, the the first guy to be a part of the band, and he also played on uh, on several cuts on on the Still Smoking CD, a guy by the name of Andy Paddle on guitar, and um, the and then once the CD was basically done, and we knew that we uh, you know wanted to put a, put a band together and and get out and play. Um, we added a couple of other players, Billy Craig on another guitar, and um, Greg Beyer on bass. Mm-hmm. And those are, uh, all three of those are Detroit men, right up there. Yeah. All, yep, all Detroit guys, and, uh, the, and, you know, and, Ann, and Brownsville was an Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan band. Right. Uh, and I'm the oddball here who is, lives in Memphis at this point, but uh, it's, uh, we, whenever duty calls, we're all together. Right, they're exactly. All, but you they're, didn't start they're, all, uh, they're all great musicians, all great guys. They're they're a good hang, um, yep. and they've all do, they've all done their own thing in a in a big way. Um, you know, Andy uh, over the years has done done a lot of different stuff, um, and played and played with Sponge, played the big stages, and all of that. Same way with Billy, and same way with um, with Greg. So mm-hmm. they're all we got experienced guys. people that are cool people. That's good. Now, both of you have done some different things. You know, obviously, in the last 30 years, you've not let grass, uh, you know, grow under your feet or anything like that. Um, but uh, what what are some of the other things that you've that you've been involved with uh, over over this period of time? Henry, go ahead, man. Yeah. Well, I tell you, there was uh, one of the major things I did was uh, co-produce and engineer a southern rock band called Blackfoot. Oh yeah. Uh, train, train, highway song, and so on. And you did the Strikes album, right? Part of me. You did their Strikes album and some other things, right? Yeah, I did three albums here and then one in Europe uh, with the Rolling Stones mobile, a live one that was a European release. But mm-hmm. this just popped into my head, Eric. I hadn't thought of this. Uh, a little Pittsburgh uh, connection. There's a guy, Norm Nardini. I know who that is, yeah, huh? Yeah, and I did Norm Nardini and the, the Tigers. Website. Pardon me? Norm Nardini and the Tigers. Yes, I did demos, an eight-track demo on them back around the Blackfoot era. <laughs> I've forgotten okay. all about Norm. Yeah, great guy. I love that name, Norm Nardini. That's a great name, man. Yeah, isn't it? Beats the heck out of Henry Wick. <laughs> <laughs> so that you know, I've done that, and you know, Europe and bands for Atlantic Records in Europe, and you know, uh, and and the like, and then uh, turn this over to Michael because he's got his stuff there, which is is phenomenal, and uh, uh, the Nuge. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, man. I. Um... I played with, uh, I was affiliated with uh, Ted Nugent for like 13 years. Um, I produced and um, recorded uh, his uh, last record for Atlantic Records, and and uh, of course, uh, on you know, and all all through all of that, you know, co-writing with him, and uh, also played bass on the record, and and um, you know, which record was we had, that? We had a, pardon me. Spirit of the Wild. Which, which record was the last Atlantic for Ted? Yeah, uh, Spirit of the Wild. Spirit oh of the yeah, Wild. okay, okay, sure. Yeah. But the great Fred. Yeah, Bear. we did a lot of touring and everything. Man, that was great. You know, playing. Yeah. You know, it it just felt great. Yeah, I'll bet that was a blast. Absolutely. 
Yeah, you know, the Nuge is like a brother, man. I mean, you know, he uh, we, we grew up with the same kinds of music, and uh, he's a terrific guy, man. You know, mm-hmm. one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life, man. You know, yeah, you know, I can imagine. You know, there was a whole Michigan thing back, you know, what we say back in the day. We, we had the same booking agent agency at the time so we were out on the road crisscrossing and doing gigs together with with nugent bob seeger grand funk railroad MP5. alice cooper pardon me alice, alice cooper yeah. there you go yep yep oh yep so but as michael said yeah nuge is a like a brother to him he's a trip man yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely he ever take you hunting or anything uh, he, yeah, he tried, you know, he I mean, tried. uh, you know, I had, uh, we, uh, I remember doing a shot for the, um, for the, for the album spirit of the wild man. And, you know, he's, he's a major carnivore and I'm a vegetarian basically. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're, 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 we, we did this shot, man, where we're standing in front of this slain pig and I'm holding up a cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I killed it, killed it and grilled it. I killed a cabbage. I did it with my own self. <laughs> I remember getting the Ted Nugent cookbook out of the local library, uh, the Kill It and Grill It cookbook, and showing oh, it to my yeah. wife. And I said, "I said, geez, I said I've never seen a cookbook with swear words in it before." <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty hilarious. Shit, I have, I can tell you stories about you know either recording or just even not recording, man. Just doing you know doing the hang. It's yeah, another yeah. point, man. You know what? You know. I'll tell you about one of our fishing trips one time. Holy smokes. We could go on. And, you know, this is bringing her back here to, to Pittsburgh and so on. Uh, when when I saw, when the email came in about uh, Iron City music and so on, the, one of the first thoughts I had was, you know, we played concerts, we toured, but sometimes if you had a day or two off in between concerts, the booking agency would get you what we call a pickup gig. Mm-hmm. One off, yeah. A one-off. And, you know, it'd keep you busy and uh, and so on. Uh, and there was one of those in Pittsburgh in some big building that was converted into a, whatever, a, a venue. And it wasn't a coliseum. But, uh, you know, we we didn't see much in there. You know, the front was curtained off and there was a big stage and lights and so on. And we're, we're finishing Martian Boogie, I think. And Lurch, our, our pyrotechnics guy at the time, uh, Michael explained some of his habits. Anyway, he set off the flash pots on the end of Martian Boogie, and the concussion was was pretty insane. We found out when we were back in the dressing room that we'd blown out the front windows on the building. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, Lurch. Oh, Lurch and his... his yeah, man. What is it with, you know, our road crew could never seem to get the balance, get the, you know, I mean, when you set off flash pots, it's mostly flash powder, right? And then a little gunpowder for the noise, and they completely right. got the got the ratio bass-ackwards, man. So, I mean, so they made you know, their own. It's not something you bought. You'd actually make them yourself. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, and, and we could go one step further. I remember, I remember this gig like it was yesterday, man. We were playing Long Beach Arena out in California, <laughs> and... And uh, they had gotten the, the things backwards, man. And they blew these things off about halfway through our show. And I'm down on my knees playing my ass off and, and to the crowd. And all of a sudden, the crowd goes freaking crazy, man. And I'm going, wow, man, we're really going over a great. Little did I know that the concussion from those things, again, had ruptured one of my 18-inch speakers. And it was moving back and forth. And my whole, it caught my whole amp rig on fire. 
<laughs> I mean, and the, the crowd thought it was part of the show, so that we didn't even finish the show. We, we there's no topping that. We had to leave right after, you know, the the end of that song, man. Blast and here's my fire amp on fire, man. People are out there trying to put it out, and un- one more, unbelievable. <laughs> one more flashpot story, then, if you got time. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, Lurch would take these, take this mixture, and put it into a baggie sandwich baggie and then twist it tight and then he decided i can get more concussion if i put duct tape around it right make it tighter yeah and so here we are out on the road and we got some uh, gig with skinnard and they had some kind of acrylic stage or whatever that they that they you know put down and no one else was allowed to use that you had to they, they roll carpet out well if you'd seen brownsville then and you see us now we're always moving and sliding and stuff and yeah. being on a rug wasn't going to work. No. <laughs> Lurch had chummed up with them. Lurch had chummed up with them like he could do. And they said, okay, we'll let you, you know, we'll, we'll give you a, a break here. You go ahead and use our stage. Well, flash pots went off again. <laughs> the duct tape pieces went up in the air because they caught fire, and then they came down and put pockmarks all over this stage. Oh, no. <laughs> who played on carpet the next night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the end of that. Hello. Hey, oh, listen, my. in case you hadn't caught it, too, you know, Lurch, we call him, you know, I, we had the world's largest road crew. The shortest guy on our road crew was 6'2". <laughs> Lurch was 6'6", six, six, and Randy was 6'7", uh, I think. Yeah, you know? and Randy wore these platform boots that made him 7'10". <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't need a lot of ladders or anything. You just kind of no, handled it no, yourself. No, that's right. That's right. We were larger than life. No pun, yep. you know? Yeah, seriously. It was like the Neil Young thing with the giant amps and stuff like that you had the giant crew yep exactly heck yeah man that's that climbing up on them things yeah now speaking of that do you have a tour plan to go along with this album well we've done what we've done is this um we've already done a small handful of dates wanted to make sure that we had the right chemistry in the band and everything which we definitely Mm do good and um we have just signed with a, um, a, a big publicist, um, PLA, um, out of uh, Nashville, and and the affiliate along with that, um, Radio Mavens, we're, we're letting them do their thing, and we're planning on uh, putting together, you know, the big time for bands like us is, you know, usually in the spring and the summer. So right, oh yeah. We're, we're putting the pieces together to, to do exactly that, man. We're, gonna, we're definitely going to be out there. Mm-hmm. Well, very good. I, I hope you include Pittsburgh on that tour. That would be incredible. Oh, we got to do got, it, man. We're talking got, here, man. You gotta got to see the live show. It's it's got some great absolutely over the top. Great yeah, the, in in Pittsburgh, we'll be there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know that. Absolutely. There's plenty plenty of that available. Yeah. You I guys, see. Yeah, that's right. You guys put on a gig. We'll come. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. You, yeah. you build it, they will come. Build it, they will come. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the the disc has a lot of. Uh, a lot of great uh, liner notes and things like that, which I also like about it. You know, when, in the day and age of the uh, you know the digital download, you lose a lot of this stuff. And uh, there's some really nice, you know, really cool pictures of you guys playing live and, and all that. And it looks, even though it's static, it looks very intense. You know, and I and I can only imagine what it would be like to witness that. Have you gone to our website? We do have some video on there, www.brownsvillestation.com. I've been on it. It's very well done. Um, I've not seen the video yet. I've seen I've seen that it does exist, um, but I, I do need to get on there and check it out. 
But uh, but yeah, make everybody make sure they go see that because it it is a really nice site, you know. And there's you know you know touting it here. We have uh, the Facebook and uh, the Twitter and the the social media links are right on the front page and on the home page is you know there's a it looks like a static picture of us on stage, but it is a a, a three minute video. And, mm-hmm. uh, pretty cool. You, We're proud of it. As far as your as far as your gear, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, BrownsvilleStation.com. BrownsvilleStation.com, yeah. Now, your gear that you're playing, I see lots of different uh, guitars represented, and, uh, you know, you guys want to talk a little bit about, like, what you what you use on stage and what you're, what you're playing these days? Take it, Michael. You know, well, I, I, if, you, if, you've been, if you're looking at the, you know, the, on the CD, the liner notes and stuff like that, you know, first and foremost, um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've got this unbelievable guitar collection, man. I mean, I own, like, 65 different instruments and oh yeah and uh, and the reason i have them is is not to hoard them or anything like that i mean being a being a studio guy and everything um you know you get it's just like with amplifiers guitars get different sounds and everything mm-hmm. and um boy we used a lot of different ones on uh on the still smoking thing and, and that's and that's represented in some of those pictures yep um, same with uh drums you know it's uh, interestingly, you know, five sets of drums and 17 snare drums, and uh, every one of them sounds different. Sure. But like, as far you know, as on stage goes, yep. um, I'm sorry, Henry. What? What? Yeah, uh, I was going to send you towards the stage with the reverends and everything. Yeah, that's right, man. We have a company here in Michigan that builds boutique guitars, and they are amazing. Uh, it's called Reverend Musical Instruments. Reverend Guitars. I've heard of them. How, how are they? Oh, they're fantastic. Fantastic. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, they just, the, these guitars, um, the original models were, they're constructed so that they're, even though they look like a solid body, they're semi-hollow. They have a oh, really? very, very unique sound. Um, they're built great. They play great. Um, I, we, just, we just think the world of them. So, I mean, we're totally, everybody on stage plays a reverend, including the bass. You know? Oh my! Yeah, and they had. I saw an ad in, in Guitar World, and it it didn't even look like they were that expensive, or they weren't as much as you thought they would be. I well, guess here's what have it, a whole here's what Joe that Joe it's Joe Naylor and company, and um, here's here's what they did. They they started out making building and making boutique guitars, which you know are more expensive. Sure. And um, what he did was, and he was like the forebearer of this, because there's a lot of other companies like Paul Reed Smith and stuff like that that have gone on to do the same thing. But mm-hmm. he went over to South Korea every, every month for a whole year and taught them how he made guitars. Okay. And now they're being, the guitars are being basically made over there, shipped back to here. And he he puts the final touches on them with his electronics and everything like that, and that's why they can sell a boutique guitar for basically the same price as a regular guitar. Okay, I see. But he's done a magnificent job, man. I mean, I can't say enough about it. I've I've been, boy, I've been a Reverend fan since like you know the mid '90s, man. You know, mm-hmm. if you see some but of I, the some of the pictures, you know, the guys uh, on stage. It happens that most of ours are. Are the are vintage ones up there, except for the bass? What is that called? A thunderbolt? What is the bass? Thund- I, I call it the thunder god. I know. <laughs> that's that's a brand new bass, and that thing is just phenomenal. It's uh, no. any any signature models in the works from Reverend or anything like that? Ah, uh, who knows? You know, I mean, you know, here's the piece on this too. You know, they uh, Joe is that you know a long time ago offered you know the the endorsement thing you know and all of that, and I and he did. 
I did take the first base that that, that I got. Um, but the bottom line is, is that I'm sure you can appreciate it. You know how many companies have gone out of business because they end up giving away a bunch of guitars and then they get bankrupt, you know? Right. And my, my piece with Joe was that, uh, you know, that, hey, I'm going to pay you what it costs you to make, make the instrument. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and over a period of time, we, we talked about, you know, doing, you know, I mean, actually, the, the first bass that I had was a design um, some of the, the things that were incorporated in there, like in terms of switching back and forth between pickups and everything and how they are wired and the bridge and everything were, were my ideas on that. So, and that's how, that's how a great endorsement thing works, right? You know, you do the feedback back and forth. And so I guess what I'm saying is that sort of, a, it's sort of one of the, the earlier base models was probably sort of my model, you know, mm-hmm. but it didn't have my name on it. Right, right. But that's, that's really cool. Well, um, hey, uh, Henry and Michael, I really appreciate you guys taking the time. This has been a really enjoyable interview, and I and I uh, had had a great time doing it. I I uh, really appreciate it. Thank Rock you, and roll, man. Same to you too, man. Okay, take cool, care. Eric. Thanks. Okay, bye bye. Have you ever listened to an album and thought to yourself, "Man, I could do so much better than that"? Well, here's your chance. My name is Sue, and I've decided to write my next album live and online at RageAndApathy.com. So come on over, leave me a comment, and tell me what you think about the album and where you think it should go. And as a bonus for you Iron City rockers out there, I will give you an exclusive copy of the first song as soon as I get it finished. So stop on over to RageAndApathy.com and join my madness. They're coming. The dunks. The dribbling. The four-point shot. The world-famous Harlem Globe Charters are coming to Pittsburgh. Playing the Consol Energy Center on Sunday, December 26th at 7 p.m. Give your kids the gift they won't ever forget. Tickets are available at Dick's Sporting Goods box office at Consol Energy Center, Ticketmaster.com, and all Ticketmaster outlets, or charged by phone at 800-745-3000. The Harlem Globe Charters at the Consol Energy Center, Wednesday, December 26th at 7 p.m. Alright, a big thanks again to Eric guys from Brownsville Station. Always cool catching up with some of the bands from the 70s uh, to see what they're up to. And a lot of these guys, uh, God bless them, are still rolling along. Uh, I know bands like Foghat and, and, and bands like that are still going really, really strong. So really cool to hear from those guys. Next up, Aaron is going to talk to Rich Millman of the band Carlton Melton about the uh, album that they have done. Aaron uh, came to me and said, hey, check these guys out. And I listened to it. I was like, this is a very interesting band. I don't even know how to describe them. I figured the best way to describe them might be to just let you guys hear them. So this is a track from the band Carlton Melton. This is Photos of Photos. And then we're going to talk to Rich.
right, ladies and gentlemen, on the show with me, I have Rich Melman of the band Carlton Melman. How are you doing today, Rich? Uh, good. Uh, Rich here from Carlton Melton, based in the Bay Area, Northern California. Awesome. Now, Rich, for, um, for our listeners who are not familiar with your band, could you give us a little bit of a background on your style? Uh, background on the style would be uh, uh, improvised music, um, mainly rock, all instrumental. Um, I categorize space rock, uh, psychedelia, um, you know, ambient sometimes, uh, very much experimental, um, not a lot of rehearsals involved, if any, just more rehearsed for the live shows, but our recordings are pretty much uh, a gathering of musicians and improvising, um, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, as I was... So I was doing research on you guys and listening to music and getting getting ready for everything. Um, a couple things came up, and one one was the um, and I'm, if I'm not pronouncing this right, please correct me. But it's the geodesic dome. Is that how you say that? Ge- geodesic dome, correct. Okay. So how does that play into the music? Because that seemed to be a big part of this whole process of, of Carlton Melton. So what? Like, like, why is that a big? Why is that important? I guess. Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, um, it's where one of our, our band members uh, who records with us and records us. He doesn't play with us live. Uh, Brian, it's where he lives. He lives in a geodesic dome. It's uh, 24 feet by 24 feet and 17 feet in height, if you can imagine that. And he lives in rural... Northern California and uh, Mendocino County, whereas uh, Andy Clint and I are basically the trio that plays live. Um, we live in the Bay Area. We drive up there uh, with another friend of ours, John Sternagel, and uh, we drive up there. Like uh, we try at least twice a year, if not more, to go up to Brian's and have a whole like three-day weekend where. We can record in a geodesic dome. Um, that's where we improvise everything. We record to uh, cassette, four-track tape, if you can believe that. <laughs> we still make uh, they still make type two uh, high bias tape. Uh, we record with the uh, omnidirectional uh, microphone placed in the middle of the dome. A little bit of a sweet spot, and. Uh, just get a good surround sound there. I mean, the sound there is incredible. Um, since we've been doing it, since 2008, we've had a few friends uh, send us uh, links to other geodesic domes uh, located, I think there's one in uh, by Joshua Tree where people record and do music. And uh, there's one up in the northwest, too, that we found out people, other people that record in geodesic domes. So... If you've ever been inside one, even like talking, uh, you could be talk- having a conversation. It can get pretty tricky. You can actually be talking to somebody, but you'll hear someone else maybe like eight feet away. His voice sounding like it's like right behind your ear. Okay. Six inside, uh, uh, pretty, pretty neat. So as far as playing music, it just seems like a great idea to get some amps and go up there and uh, 
space out for like three days and play music. And, um, yeah, I, I recommend it. Anyone who gets the opportunity, you know. All right. So, so let's let's break this down then. So, a big part of the dome is is the sound within the dome when you guys are playing. Then, right? Yeah, when you're inside, it's 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 great. It sounds great in there. And even if you're playing a stereo, you know, a couple of stereo speakers, um, even music inside sounds better than it would, you know, in other places. And uh, we've been in uh, regular recording studios um, where you know the, the regular your normal recording studio is sort of made to uh, enclose the sound and uh, compress everything a lot of times, you know, which is, you know, how it's done, but up there, you know, sounds are swirling around, and uh, every once in a while, you'll get some pretty unique sounds, especially when you're using, you know, delay pedals and synthesizers, and uh, it gets kind of a retro sound, too, I think. So that, that always helps. We're all a lot older, we're all in our 40s, so we like old records and old tapes and stuff like that. So for us, you know, it's ideal. You know, okay. it's, it's nice. So, so like, what's the what's the micing setup? You'd mentioned before you're using just an omnidirectional mic. You have, like, a couple yeah, of... Yeah, uh, um, you know, it, we're not very technical. It's just an audio, technica, omnidirectional mic that Brian has placed got a nice spot for it in the middle of the room where it picks up the drums and we just all sort of gather around the mic with our amps and stuff and find little sweet spots. I bring, uh, I got a custom four channel PA head that I bring up there with a couple monitors and I'll like put a monitor on one end of the room and another monitor on the other end of the room and there's four channels where you can run synthesizers and I got a, a couple old Tascam four-track tapes that I tape a bunch of synthesizer stuff on there, and I go up there, I can run that through the channel, play stuff backwards, slow it down. Um, you know, we can even run a, a line out of the guitar amp if needed, put it through the PA. Okay. Just try to get, like, sort of a surround sound going uh, within the dome. And, uh, All right. Yeah, so far it's worked out pretty good. Yeah, got some pretty cool recordings. So the albums that you guys put out then, it's recorded with one microphone. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's re- the basic recording is with one microphone, the um, recorded mono, the one track, and then we'll like, you know, listen back. We'll be up there for three days and like run the tape, you know, and just add, you know, add a track here and there to kind of, you know, fat track, fatten it up a little bit or add a, a synthesizer sound. And on our past record, uh, what I'm really happy about and everyone's happy about on our last record, which is Photos of Photos, which uh, Howard maybe, maybe sent me the CD. But, uh, yeah, I've actually been listening to that. I'm, I absolutely yeah, love that. Yeah, that one, we took what we all did on tape and, you know, usually dump it to, uh, dump it, you know, the WAV file. You know, and uh, we, we hand stuff over to John McBain, who was the original guitar player in Monster Magnet, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. He's on their first record, Spine of God. He's been doing a bunch of stuff since then. He's got a solo record, In Flight Feature, which has a lot of synthesizers and 
fun stuff. So uh, he's been a friend over the years, and we got in contact with him, and just uh, you know, he was familiar with what we were doing, and, and uh, he likes it. So we said, hey, how about we send you some uh, some music, and you can uh, flesh it out, add what you want, and we ended up mixing it, and added some parts, you added Echoplex, you know, added guitar. It's really, you know, just all in the background, really. Uh, he did a great job, and then he mastered it. He just kind of took it and spread things out in his studio. Like he has a little home studio, and he kind of added another dimension. Which, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. He's really talented. did a great job. We're hoping that he'll collaborate next year on another record, you know. Um, really good year. So that helped, too, to kind of enhance the sound, but yeah, like you said, yes, uh, the original recordings are all just one light recorded mono. Yeah. This is just blowing me away, because I sat down to listen to the um, <clears throat> to the album, and at first I didn't realize it was all just instrumental, but I got the link, I put it on my iPod, I'm listening, and just the more I listen, I'm just hearing all this neat little stuff here and there, and yeah. it's, it's some of the most relaxing music I think I've ever listened to. Like I, oh, cool. I just, I absolutely loved it. Like I, I kept telling my wife, I'm like, I want to just get a beer, sit down, and just listen, and just, <laughs> just sit and chill. It's so good, you know. Get an Iron City beer. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just, I can't believe it's all coming just from from one mic. Now, I also know that this is all improv, right? So take me, like, take me through the process. Like, how how does this this work? The, you know, is it just like, okay, somebody start to tape and let's just see where this goes? Or what do you guys do? Yeah, we roll. Uh, well, it's, it's more about giving ourselves, you know, three or four days, nothing else to do. I mean, we're, we're out in the, in the woods off the coast. No one, there's no phone calls. You know, we're running off generators. So we just need gasoline, you know. Wow. We're not, no, one's, no one's pulling in the driveway. No one's ringing the doorbell. No one's looking at a clock, which would be the case in other studios usually. You know, cause yeah. we, we don't have any money. We're low budget. That, that that's another big part of it. We're all, you know, older. We have, you know, we work jobs. That might be the relaxing part that you and hopefully other people here is that we're relaxed and we're up there with a bunch of barbecues and a couple cores for beer and food. That's all we're doing for three or four days. That's how it's been so far. We're, we're, uh, I would like to keep it that way, you know. Yeah. You know. And we've been pretty lucky. We get some good recordings, and then we kind of fatten it up, and you know, add some backward sounds, and you know, and, and it works out a lot too. Cause we don't have vocals. Uh, vocals in a studio can be sort of the hardest thing to really get sound natural. Oh, yeah. It's really hard, you know, and if, if we were doing vocals and stuff, it'd be a whole different story. But the fact that it's instrumental, you know, without worry, oh, I can't hear this person singing and stuff like that, you know, that would probably make it more difficult. I, I'm and, just uh, so... Yeah. I'm so stuck on the fact that, it's the mono, that it starts as this big mono track that you're all doing in the same room, because... The sound on this record is huge. I mean, this is one of the biggest sounding records I've listened to in a while. So it's almost like a wall of sound. There's so much going on. I can't believe that it starts as a mono track. Yeah. Yeah, and, and not much, you know, just a four-track tape player. Um, yeah. It, uh, 
know, Brian sits there and keeps an eye on it sometimes late at night. Some stuff goes in the red more, so stuff gets more, gets more, you know, and it's, you know, it's all tape, you know, and a lot of digital stuff these days, there's a lot of separation. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, uh, definition, and that's what the people are going for. And uh, with tape, you know, it leaves more room where certain things can kind of compress together, you know, and overlap for the more natural sounding. And, uh, yeah, 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 I'm not very technical. I couldn't really, I mean, people that work in studios and engineers could probably explain it more, but none of us are an engineer. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes that's the best approach. I mean, the fact that you're using analog tape and you're talking about going in the red, like the nice thing about analog tape, and this is the hardest thing for me to switch from digital to analog, is that with analog, you go in the red, it's okay. You can, you can saturate. It, it, you get that warmer, ambient sound. And right, digital, right. you go in the red, it just distorts. It sounds bad. It, it you know? clips. You know, yeah. it clips. It won't do it, you know. And I was going to get, you know, I was looking into four-track, digital four-tracks, because, uh, they don't make type 2 tape anymore, but I found a guy, he's got spools of it, he says for the next five years, he can wow. sell me type 2 high-bias tape to the chrome. There's yeah. no factories anywhere in the world, you know, in Germany were the last one, but, you know, the chemicals from the chrome, yeah. they won't make them anymore. So I got it, we stockpiled a bunch of that tape for that reason you're talking about, like the saturation. Uh, to be able to do that, uh, and to be able to, like, you know, I could tape stuff on synthesizers at high speed, and then I could slow it down, I could change the pitch, like, uh, you know, Brian Eno and all those, and those guys used yeah. to do back in the 70s, all the early, you know, Kraut Rock and Cosmic uh, Synthesizer kind of stuff, you know, they experiment a lot with tape and effects on synthesizers guitars too yeah uh, makes it a little more interesting there's a lot of that some of that and I'm sorry like the song photo the photo there's like backwards synthesizers going on in there from tape kind of just some, you know popping in and out which you know makes it a little more ambient uh, trippy sounding oh yeah yeah it's fun stuff now so, you, you know, you said that you bring in some synthesizers and stuff, and you also play guitar on this, right? Yeah, yeah, guitar and synth, exactly. Now, what's, what's your guitar rig like? Like, what's your guitar setup like when you go into to record one of these albums? Uh, well, up, up in, the, in the geodesic dome, I either bring, I have an old uh, Mesa Boogie. I think it's the, man, you know, it's one of the early ones. It's got 12-inch speaker. In a clean channel. I think it's, I want to say it's the Mark II, but it's just uh, a Mesa Boogie uh, tube amp. And then the last time up there, I brought a uh, Fender Twin reissue, but I think that was too loud because uh, you got to really watch your volume. You don't need a lot of volume up there, uh, even though the recording sound like we're playing really loud. But really at low, low volume because inside there, if you turn it up at all, it just kind of takes over. You know, it's, the acoustics just make it too too loud. So we got just a really small drum set up there. It's not a big drum set. Andy, uh, a band named Andy Duvall, he plays drums, but 
on the last Roulette Records playing a lot of guitar, and he just has an old music master, you know, uh, what yeah. kind of made his little, he's got a very old retro 50s amp with this one tube in it, an old, you know, with a 12-inch speaker that he cranks up, you know, to get the tube going hot. And, uh, yeah, we got a bass running out of a small amp, a small guitar amp, and, uh, and a drum set, that's about it. And then the PA, PA uh, system I was talking to you about earlier, to bring that up, it's got you know channels on it where we can put in different instruments and synthesizers and four track tape loops. Wow. And uh, yeah, yeah very experimental for sure. Wow. Okay. There's no, uh, yeah, there's no like uh, rehearsals beforehand or demo tapes passed around. Like, hey, uh, Andy works on some guitar guitar lines before we go up, but then you know I don't hear them until we get up there. He plays more of sort of like uh, Nick Drake, Jerry Garcia kind of style, finger-picking. But when we get up there, we turn it up, make it loud, you know, it's a lot of fun. Now, it sounds like you guys come out of like this three- or four-day weekend with just tons and tons of material. So is is the bulk of, I guess, the album process doing the editing later, like once you create it all? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it much later, you know, I give it a rest and then start listening back and uh, kind of edit stuff down, Man, you know, cool. chop stuff up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I could I, we, I could go back and listen to tapes over the last three years. And there's some bizarre stuff on that that hasn't seen the light of day, you know, be a matter of just... Yeah. Listen back to it, you know, like, whoa, what was this? <laughs> Some fun stuff. But, yeah, the photos, the photos, I took the stuff that was really solid sounding, a good eight minutes here, a good 12 minutes there. It's like a four-track record, you know, where we're like, this, this sounds like this will work, and we'll pass that on to John, Bane, and, and no. uh, he, he, dug, he dug it and was inspired. And pretty cool. Now, you guys play live, right? Yeah, live. Live, it's uh, it's becoming more. It's just uh, Clint Golden, who plays bass and drums on the last record. Andy, who I mentioned, he plays guitar and drums, and myself playing guitar and synths, and we take that on the road. Brian's just becoming more. He'll play drums every once in a while or play a synth on a track, but he's primarily just recording us. And then our other friend, John Sturdangle, he pretty much comes along to hang out, and every once in a while he'll add, like, a bass track or something, like, sit in on a jam. What are these live shows like? Like, how do you take what you guys do is so much improv and then put that into a live show? Like, what's that like? Well, that's more Andy, Clint, and I will pick certain songs. And um, and then we'll rehearse, and we'll just uh, pretty much make them more straightforward. Like a track like Smoke Trip, for example, um, we, we just did a tour of Europe and England for like three and a half weeks, and we played that song every night. And it's one of my favorite songs to play. It's just a synthesizer pulse going throughout the whole song, and I play guitar, and Andy plays guitar, and Clint plays bass. And live, we do it for about between 10 and 15 minutes. 
and we just we just improv, kind of like the recording, the same key and everything, but we just improvise over the pulse, you know. And every night's a little different. Wow. You know, it's not a set song. You know, it's and even live, we make everything louder and more rock, more space rock than in the dome. In the dome, it's probably leans more to you know kicking back, like you were saying, listening, relaxing, and live. Usually, uh, you know, try to give the people what they want. You know, people want to rock out. They get to see live bands. So. Yeah. Yeah. We just ratchet it up a few notches, make it louder, bring some bigger amps, and uh, yeah, lot playing live is, is is pretty much going to be a three piece. Every once in a while, we'll have a guest musician like John McBain play with us live once. Uh, we had Jay Maskus play a song with us once live. Nice. Do a, a cover of uh, Pink Floyd, When You're In, an old Pink Floyd track yeah. live. We recorded a song, Pass It On, our first record, but it's been sort of our uh, closing song live for the last few years. And we flesh it out to like a 10, 12-minute jam live and let, wow. you know, let the solos go on and we were lucky at Jay in the building one night and did a really great solo over it. And yeah, pretty cool. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. Here, Rich, again, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, and I don't want to take up any more of your time here, so thank you so much. I'm looking forward to hearing more of you guys in the future. Eric Clapton. Live in concert. Saturday night, April 6th at Consol Energy Center. One night, one stage. Slowhand is back live. The force and six string that defined a generation. Eric Clapton. Saturday, April 6th at Consol Energy Center. Eric Clapton and his special guest, The Wallflowers. Don't wait. Tickets on sale now. Available at Ticketmaster. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Eric Clapton. A Beaver production. All right, that brings us to the end of the show. I want to thank all of you for taking the time on your schedule to listen to the Iron City Rocks podcast. We are here virtually every week. Uh, this is episode 181, so if you're new to the show, uh, you're a fan of rock, metal, blues, I think we have something really for everyone. We have a great group of contributors. Uh, I'd like to take this time to thank Aaron, Sean, Eric uh, for all their efforts to the show. I invite you to check out ironcityrocks.com, facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks, Twitter dot com forward slash iron city rocks you're welcome to drop us an email at iron city rocks at gmail.com we love hearing from fans uh got a lot of great feedback on an episode we did not all that long ago with a bastard bearded irishman from pittsburgh uh sort of an irish folk punk band uh so if you missed that one you want to check that out uh we've had a lot of great guests recently 2012 has been very good to us. Also, if you have a business or an event going on, I'd like to extend an offer. Uh, if you go to ironcityrocks.com forward slash advertise, uh, we have some new uh, 
promotions going on if you'd like to advertise on the show and reach uh, an audience. I know many of you are in the Pittsburgh area uh, because of where we're geographically located, but I know that the sound of my voice right now is being heard literally all across the globe. So uh, if you have something uh, you'd like to share with the world, uh, we hope we reach a really cool audience. You know, if you've got a band and you want to advertise a release that you're doing or a Kickstarter campaign or you have a business maybe online, Check us out, ironcityrocks.com forward slash advertise. Also, we are on uh, iTunes. We appreciate any feedback. That's not only the Iron City Rocks podcast, but also Iron City Rocks Connect, which is our mobile app for the iPhone, iPad, iPod. And also invite you to check out castironring.com, which is the brotherhood of podcasts of which Iron City Rocks is a part of. A great group of podcasters, uh, a lot of metal and music related shows uh, we also have a mobile app for that as well if you're in uh, iTunes search for Cast Iron Ring uh, both the iTunes apps are free the podcasts are always free so with no cost or obligation download it to use it if you don't like it delete it, it takes a few seconds so we appreciate you listening again and we welcome you back next time thank you thank you